0: Hey, I'm Johanna Wagstaff.
2: This is a CBC Podcast.
0: You're sitting at the bar. There's three people across from you, two Korean people around the same age, one white American guy, again, around the same age. You start to talk with your friend and say, I wonder how those people know one another. A situation just like that was the inspiration for the new movie Past Lives. Celine Song, the director, will tell you how she was one of the people at the bar that night and what it was they were doing together. That's coming up I'm Tom Power You're listening to Cube.
2: One of the best shows of the year According to Apple, Amazon and Time Is back for another round This season we're diving deep Into some of McCartney's most beloved songs Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue Here, There and Everywhere Listen to Season 2 of McCartney A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: In Western philosophy, the idea of destiny or fate or like the love of your life or something like that is often something that you're trying to go get. But in Eastern philosophy, so much of it is about something that comes to you. You don't have to do anything. It just comes. It just walks in the door and it's your destiny.
0: I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. I want to tell you about this movie called Past Lives. It's one of the most talked about romantic films right now. It's from a Canadian director named Celine Song. She was born in Seoul, South Korea. She she grew up in Markham, Ontario. It's about, let me see if I can do this. It's about um, a a young Korean woman who immigrates to Canada. She ends up living in New York. She's married to a white American writer. Her childhood sweetheart from Korea comes to visit and everything, everything we'll say gets uh, unsettled. It's a beautiful movie. What I find really interesting about it is that it, it resists all romantic movie Tropes. There's no massive speeches. There's no, like, bad decisions, sex scenes, or anything like that. Celine Song talks about that in our conversation. She says she wanted to depict humans as we actually interact, not as the way films tell us that we interact. It's worth mentioning that this entire film is based on a situation that Celine actually found herself in. Now, the film got rave reviews when it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year. Here is my conversation with Celine Song. How are you? I'm
1: good. How are
0: you? Uh, Congratulations on the film. I really, really loved it. Um, it, And it did so well at Sundance. Mm -hmm. How did that feel? How did the premiere feel at Sundance?
1: Oh, it was so magical because I feel like before that moment, like I think you don't know what's going to happen to the movie that you spent uh, so many years uh, making. And I think a part of the making of the movie is always like you try not to think about how people are going to receive it. All you can really do is try to, uh, make a movie that feels like true to you, and then right to you, and that you you like, you know, that you love, and then you hope that once it's done, then you start worrying, like, okay, yeah, but then now, other people are gonna enjoy this. Like, mm-hmm. I really, I care about this movie, but are they gonna care about it as well? So Sunday really, Sundance really was a revelation, kind of a festival for me because it was a it was a full house and. Uh, the the reaction and then the way that like people sort of were so connected to the movie that first time I don't think I will ever forget that first time at Sundance it's so special
0: people weren't coughing I mean like I've heard, I've heard yeah. first time filmmakers tell me that like when when their film premieres for the first time if someone like <laughs> coughs they're nervous about it or they're you know
1: yes no coughing and I think that like near the end <laughs> I think that uh, when I could feel that people were moved and some of them yeah. were uh, tearing up or they're having a like a pretty uh, a bit of a physical reaction too
0: It's interesting that you say, you know, given that it's such a personal film, that people related to it that way, given that it's such a personal film. And and I I was hoping you might tell the story. So the beginning of the film, I've never seen a film framed like expositionally this way before, which is – so Nora, um, sort of the the Korean-Canadian protagonist, is sitting – and you don't yet know who she is. She's sitting at a bar uh, at like four in the morning with um, her white American husband and her childhood sweetheart from from Korea um, and the, the it 's shot from the perspective of someone across the bar quietly going like, "So what do you think their story is?" and trying to guess how they all know one another." This this happened to you? Mm-hmm. Can you tell me that story?
1: Well, you know, I feel like I found myself in a bar in East Village in that exact situation where I was sitting between my child sweetheart from Korea and my white American husband on the other side. And I was also translating between them because they didn't really speak each other's, each other's language. Yeah, And I was also... um I, f- I was feeling like a bridge and a portal between these two guys, too. And all I had to do was just to exist as I am. And I knew both both of them loved me or cared for me in different ways and different degrees and totally different uh, language, even. Um, but I knew that just by being who I am, there was something really special happening where these two guys were trying their hardest to sort of understand each other or be with each other. And I think there's a kind of a sense of power that I felt in that situation that I think really was the initial impulse for the film. But the way that the movie begins is that um, it's a way to implicate the audience or to really introduce the audience to the mystery of the film. And the mystery of the film is who they are these people to each other, right? And it doesn't seem like a really big, it's not really a whodunit, but it's not really a really dramatic kind of mystery. But it is a mystery that I think that can sometimes uh, haunt us, right? Because I think that not all connections in the world is easily defined by words like partner, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, husband, or something like that. Some relationships we have in our lives is uh, really just hard to describe, it's ineffable. And I think that, to me, is what the relationship between Hasung and Nora is
0: i mean i I couldn't help but notice you used the word implicate there mm-hmm. implicate the audience like implicate yes. us in, in that yes. we, we may have our own assumptions about how people can live their lives and our own you know by our parents or by what we've seen on t v and yes. that there's more complexities there Is that what you mean of by course. implicate?
1: It's a bit of a confrontational thing, right? The implicating means that it's like they're a part of the event that this is that this is, which is these three people who's. It's really hard to tell who they are to each other in this yeah. bar. And the way that like, I, I was thinking is like when I myself was sitting in that bar with my child, sweetheart, and my husband, yeah. I remember looking around the bar and seeing the way that people were sort of glancing at us and trying to figure out who we are to each other because we are a weird trio. Clearly, two of us don't speak the same language. One person is sitting in the middle. It's a triangle, but it's like really polite and it's not really awkward. It's very—or it's or at least it's trying really not to be awkward. There's a kind of a warmth to it, but it is— strange so i was just looking at them and i remember just really thinking um you know like oh you guys have no clue (laughs) 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 you have no clue who we are to each other and second thought was i was like well what if i really did tell you what if i really took the time to tell you who we were to each other and that's how the structure of the film is the the first scene is an implication and a confrontation and a bit of like wouldn't you like to know yeah Uh, and guess what i'm gonna tell you right and then we go back to 24 years earlier and then we start to uh, live through to basically tell the story of who these people are to each other. And over time, you just uh, the audience, when we are back in that bar, because near the end of the film, we come back to that scene in the bar. You
0: see what you, you are working towards that scene that you saw at the beginning at the end. Yeah,
1: Exactly. And then there, the I know that the way that the audience is going to be watching that scene is going to be entirely different. Now they're going to have the whole story of their lives to sort of like back up the context of that scene. So everybody's going to be looking at these three people completely differently, even though only about an hour ago or something, uh, you've seen them as strangers just trying to figure out who they are to each other. Now that you have an answer, now the mystery is some kind of solved. But of course, like all mysteries of this kind, uh, it's never going to be completely solved because it's not even clearly to them who well, they
0: are to each other. I, I think that's an important point that like, like all mysteries of this kind is never going to be uh, completely solved because in... In narratives historically, like the idea of like watching a film or watching a, a a play or something like that, your story would have played out very differently than it did in the film. So, like mm-hmm. one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today was just the amount of like nuance in the film and the amount of like how how it's more similar to how reality would actually. Play out, and 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 I think while I was watching the film, I was watching it with a bunch of like pre ordained film beats mm. that weren't coming. <laughs> well, go, yes. let, let me give people listening to this uh, an example. So, you know, uh, as you mentioned, you you explore the backgrounds of, of you know how how Nora ends up in the United States to to begin with. You know, she she immigrates from Korea to to Canada with her family. And, you know, chooses the name Nora. You know, uh, moves to the U.S. And then um she meets her meets her husband. And we're gonna talk about the fact that a lot of this happened to you in, in just a second. I was expecting when her childhood sweetheart shows up later to like see her and, and see what was and maybe even like take take her back and, and follow, you know, so she I was just waiting for the moment where she says no, I'm I am. I'm gonna go back to Korea. You know, this is this is that that you know, I've always been in love. That's sort of the story I was ready for. Mm-hmm. Or like the big dramatic, no, I'm gonna be here in New York, you know, what like this is where my life is and I love you. And I was when I was getting ready for this interview, I I I read something you said where you something like, I wanted it to be even mm-hmm. between Nora's decision to go back to her childhood sweetheart. I don't think I'm giving anything away because it's not no, really a no, twist. No. I wanted to be even between going back to Seoul with my childhood sweetheart or staying in the U.S. with my husband?
1: Well, I think that it's more that um, the, the kind of uh, it was just important to me that Nora and Arthur's marriage, which is the Arthur is a person that Nora's married to, um, to be a good one or the one that is worth staying for. So part of that is like at the end of the day, it has to be about love. It's about how much Arthur loves Nora. And part of the way that Arthur expresses love is not through possession. It's not He's not saying it's like, I, I have you. You're my wife. You know, that's never the argument that Arthur is giving for why she should be with him. He's saying, like, I know what you need. I know that what you need is for uh, me to accept also that I cannot give you everything. Because I think the part of it is like when we're talking about mystery, also we are mysteries to each other anyway. Like, I think that there is no such thing. We're all individuals and we're all mysteries to each other. There's going to be a part of another person that you're never going to know completely anyway. Uh, And part of what Arthur is able to offer is that I know almost everything about you. And I think that the parts that I don't know, I know that I don't know. And that's okay. Not only is that okay, but I have to accept it because I love you. And, Part of being okay that I love you and it's okay is that um, I know that you have to close this chapter with your childhood sweetheart. I know that you have to to have this goodbye. Mm -hmm. I know you need all this. And I'm not going to stand there and let the feeling that I have, the insecurities I have, or Mm -hmm. jealousy I have, get in the way of you being able to uh, say your proper goodbye. I'm not going to get in the middle of that because I love you too much for that. So. Having that kind of sentiment to me be, and being able to not only have the sentiment but to practice it, right, is to me uh, the, the is the, lo- is a amazing love story that is also the love story of this movie between Arthur and Nora.
0: But but as a filmmaker, you, you did have to reject a certain cliche to that,
1: mm-hmm. right? Yes, of course. I think every every moment of it, it really had to feel like, well, what is the actual way that this uh, would be like? Or like, how do an ordinary person, how does an ordinary person uh, go through these events actually like this? And the thing is, like, the, the, the main part of the story is not like, will they get together? Or will they not? Who will she choose? Or something like that, which I think are uh, just like uh, traditional tropes of a romantic uh, anything, because I think that's so often we think about uh, romance as something that has to do with dating, which has everything to do with, I think, capitalism, which I think is or some kind of objectification of that person where you're like, I'm trying to get a person. I'm trying to get something. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying yeah. to get something. I'm trying to have that person. I'm trying to steal that person or take yeah. this person. So there is a lot of uh, conversation about what, what we call as love story that is actually so much more about taking and getting and that kind of a thing about, of a person. But in fact this movie very much what was really important to me for this movie is that it has to be about love in its most uh, central and purest form which is the kind of thing that you can give without asking for anything in return
0: and 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 the sort of i mean that's beautiful and 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 the device that is sort of utilized in the film to sort of exemplify that like you can love someone it may just not be the right time or you can love someone even if you aren't going to be with them is the now i wrote it down is is this korean concept like is it inyeon mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So the concept of union is like a, it's not an, only a Korean concept. It's a kind of an Eastern philosophy concept. Yeah. And then the way that I sort of talk about it sometimes is like, uh, in Western philosophy, the idea of destiny or fate or like the love of your life or something like that is often something that you're trying to go get. So there is a kind of a pursuit part of it. you go to try to find your destiny. Yeah. But in Eastern philosophy, so much of it is about something that comes to you. You don't have to do anything. It just comes. It just walks in the door and it's your destiny, right? So similarly, that's where the concept of inion comes from. It's a very commonplace thought. And what it is, is um, every person who enters your life, every person that you encounter in life is an yinyan. Of course, um, the relationship you have with the person who brought you a cup of water at a restaurant, that inion is maybe a smaller inion or a thinner inion than the one you have with your... A lifelong partner or your parent, for mm-hmm, example. Mm-hmm. But you know, like you and I on this conversation, like talking to each other, this would count as Union as mm-hmm. well. So it is something where every relationship that you have, no matter how brief for how long, it can be considered Union in that way.
0: And this would be stronger than the, someone pouring water on the. Yeah, exactly, because right, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. you and I
1: are actually having a conversation. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think it's not a matter of like, is it union or not? It's more like the degree. But. The reason why I wanted to introduce the concept of Inyan to this film is because Hezong and Nora in the movie, their relationship is not something that you can really define with the word, like I was saying, with the word like lover or an ex, because all they ever did was hold hands as children. Yeah. So they're not really exes. They're not really ex-lovers. It's not really something you can really... But there was something. There
0: was some kind exactly. of...
1: Exactly. But that thing you're talking about, the something, right? The something, the ineffable something, this feeling that I know this person, or this feeling that uh, we've known each other for a long time, which mm. is like what we were talking about earlier about the two of them looking at each other, the silences or the gazing at each other. Like those are the kinds of things that you don't have a word for except... I thought that maybe the concept of union could help. Because I thought the idea of inyon is something that you can really name who they are to each other. Who are they to each other? Is that they are what,
0: what I find really interesting about this is that we're talking about it in such like a um, and you're speaking so beautifully about it, but from such a like a tw- thirty thousand feet perspective. A little <laughs> bit about like oh yeah, and like this is how I wanted to tell this story, and this yeah. is how this is how I felt about love in this context, and this is how I felt about acceptance, and how I felt about you know being mindful of sadness while still being able to accept that you love somebody. But it is very <laughs> looming in the corner of the room is yeah. that. A lot of this story is at least rhymes
1: mm-hmm.
0: with your own story. Yeah, it's not a documentary.
1: No, no. But
0: it rhymes. I mean, like the the uh, uh, immigrating. She's a playwright, mm-hmm. like like yourself, immigrating from Korea to Canada at like twelve, mm-hmm. um, moving to New York in your twenties. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, meeting your husband, mm-hmm. who's white, at a, a a writers retreat in Montauk. This yeah. is all your. This is all your story. Mm-hmm. My my question isn't so much what are the similarities and differences between mm-hmm. you? But it's what did writing the story that's so similar to your own mm-hmm. allow you to maybe explore about your own story?
1: I think that uh, so so much of it, because I do talk about it as like an adaptation of or inspired by. And I think a part of it is, is that like it really made me hone in on a certain truth about what it's like to be uh, myself in a way. And I think a part of it is it's not an Question of identity almost. It's almost a conversation about ex- existence. So it felt like how specific I needed to get about uh, the way that it feels to be myself. Uh, and of course, in the making of the movie, it is going to be a different kind of exploration and different kind of forward movement towards becoming a movie, including, like, you know, you cast actors, right? I'm not trying to cast actors that's going to replicate something. I'm casting actors who's going to play the characters. So I think that the the bone of it was, like, the specificity of it, I think, was something that I had to feel very connected to, and I felt like had to be pulled from personal story. And,
0: I, and I'm stuck on what, what, what you said, where you said, um, I wanted this film to feel like what my life felt like as opposed to the facts of my yes. life. Mm-hmm. There's something, there, there, there's a, I mean, I don't even know how to describe that. Mm. There is the, the feeling of the experience of going through what I went through that and I'm, that is more ac- authentic to me that I can actually probably tell in this film than re going over the, the exactly. elements, elements of my life.
1: Yeah, because it just has to feel right in telling the story.
0: Okay, well, this is, this is um, um, I mean, I don't really know what else I have to ask you. I mean, this is, <laughs> It, this is a, a. It's a really, really beautiful film, um, and I, I really loved getting the chance to talk to you about
1: I'm it. So, it was so fun. This was such a good conversation. Oh, Thank you for talking to me. Get out of here. It's so good. Come so on. What so are you, gonna, What'd you do?
0: When are you going to make your Markham film, as <laughs> I mean, your...
1: when am I going to make a Markham film soon? You know. <laughs>
0: When that Markham film comes out, I I want 10%. Uh, My conversation with Celine Song, the Korean-Canadian director, screenwriter, and playwright, talking about her debut feature, Past Lives, which I heartily recommend. I absolutely loved it. It's in theaters tomorrow.
2: What should I say If I can't say hello do I replay all of the words you already know?
1: You moved
0: on. I'm Tom Power, you're listening to Q. That's Matt Anderson. Matt Anderson. I'm kind of I I I talked about Matt Anderson so much in my life because he's just one of the most dynamic live entertainers I've ever seen in my life. I've watched him go on stage a couple of times like by himself. Just an acoustic guitar. He sits down on a pretty normal chair in front of a microphone. And he can captivate and hold a room like nothing else I have ever seen. He's such a powerful solo performer. And if you get the chance to see Matt, it sounds like this, right? You're going to love it. But... On his latest record, Matt did something really interesting. He decided to enlist some extra hands to help him out. A lot of extra hands, actually. Matt's new album is called Matt Anderson and the Big Bottle of Joy. That big bottle is made up of an eight-piece band, some of uh, Atlanta, Canada's best musicians. And from what people are saying about it, that bottle is popping. Very sorry. Here to introduce a song is Matt Anderson. Here's our conversation. Matt, how are you?
2: Good. The bottle is popping. I like that. I've heard that yet.
0: You can Good. use that. I mean, I, we're very reasonable. <laughs> Absolutely well. <laughs> Absolutely well. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about how you decided to put this, this kind of gigantic band together.
2: <laughs> um, at first, it was just a fun idea. You know, I wanted to kind of have a band like this for a long time. So through the pandemic, we had a chance where everybody wasn't on the road. You know, usually different members are out with people, different different bands or are, are doing their own thing. So I, I kind of took advantage of people not being able to travel travel anywhere. And we threw some shows together and, uh, loved it. Just, it was an absolute blast. And uh, it was an automatic, this is the band that I want to record with. This is the band I want to take on the road and just made it happen.
0: It feels like like a, like a draft situation. Like you got, you got, <laughs> you, you got like the number one pick for the, for the team and you got to pick exactly who you want for this band.
2: It, it is. It's a dream team. It honestly is. It's, um, I'm fortunate enough that we have all these people close to home, but I don't know if I could have reached further away, I would have gotten a better band. You know, I, I don't think I could have for sure. I mean, it's, it's, such a, such a unit and it's the first time I've been able to tour with people who I have such a bunch of the history with, you know, um, Jeff Arston who plays drums, he's been on four or five of my albums, uh, Mike Farrington, the same bass player, uh, Chris Kirby has been on tour with me a bunch. So it's, and Kim Dunn, I played with them all over the last 20 years. So it's, uh, it's it's got a different vibe going up this time having that kind of history with people.
0: Well, how does the feeling of having the band up there differ than being up there by yourself?
2: Uh, it's it's a, definitely a bit of camaraderie. You know, you don't have that when you're up there by yourself. I mean, it's a different kind of connection with the audience too, than just me and the guitar, and I can really appreciate that. You know, I love doing the solo shows. It's it's a lot more chill. I'm just telling stories and singing songs. It's kind of more how I grew up with music. But, um, having the band is a little bit more how I grew up listening to music. You know, when I hear those, those, those Van Morrison records of Ray Charles stuff and just, you know, having that such an energy off the stage coming, there's just, you can't recreate nine people with one person.
0: Can you pick a song off the record that maybe is particularly meaningful to you? and, And we'll play it after this interview.
2: Um. I will say what's on my mind. Um, a lot of it for the instance, the arrangement way, you know, it's, it kicks off with the vocals right off the top, which is we do that in a live show. And it's uh, every night we do it. The first line comes out and you hear people gasp in the audience. And I love that. That's like my, that's my, that gets me revved up for the rest of the show. Cause it's just, it is, it's such a wave that hits you. And, um, and lyric wise, I, mean, I wrote this with uh, Corey and Kirby, Chris Kirby, uh, Corey Defford, Chris Kirby in the band. And it just kind of also what's been going through my head a bunch, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's more of a, we've got to make an effort to be good to each other than uh, be crappy to each other. And, you know, I love singing that out loud to people.
0: I was going to ask what the song is about. It's sort of a song mm. about a song about sort of uh, camaraderie, about about trying to treat each other right.
2: Absolutely. That's kind of the vibe for the whole record. But yeah, that one, uh, it drives home quite a bit with that one. It's, it's pretty blatant in the chorus.
0: Matt, um, always love love talking to you. Um, congrats on the new records. It's a beautiful record. Again, I encourage anyone who can go see Matt Anderson to go see Matt Anderson. Um, joy to have you here, man. Nice to see you.
2: Thanks for having me, Tom. Appreciate
0: it, man. I speak with Matt Anderson. His new album, Matt Anderson and the Big Bottle of Joy, is
1: out now.
0: Can I tell you what's on my mind? Can I tell you what's on my mind? Can I tell you what's on my mind? Can I tell you
1: what's on my mind?
0: Brand new album, Matt Anderson and the Big Bottle of Joy. That was Perth, Andover, New Brunswick's own Matt Anderson with What's On My Mind. Before that, you heard our conversation. That album is out everywhere now. That is it for this episode of Q. The other episode we have up today is a, is a cool one. It's a, uh, an encore presentation, as we call it in the biz. An encore presentation. Of my conversation with James Cameron, the director of Titanic, on the 25th anniversary of Titanic... I had heard this rumor that when they were shooting the film in Nova Scotia, they ate chowder one night that was laced with PCP. Like, I always wanted to know whether that was true or not. James Cameron will tell you the story exactly how he remembers it. All right, check it out. We'll see you soon. Later on.